And welcome to Big Red in Beijing. In this special episode, we sat down with none other than Karen Chen. Now, Karen Chen had such an approachable personality. She was so down to earth, and even off air, off recording, she was always down to have a laugh. We were apparently we were in the same biology thirteen fifty class. Wow. Of course, that, we talked about that off air. It was pretty hilarious.、Mm-hmm. But aside from that. I know I said it in the recording itself, but it's so, I guess, awesome. I think would be the closest word to see how someone of her, you know, at, elite athletic prowess could be so relatable to us. I know that may sound cheesy at times, but we always forget.、Yeah. We always forget that these sorts of heroes and champions of our country are basically us. There, and she herself is a student like us. Need,、mm-hmm. Needless to say. Yeah, I watch her on TV. She's winning Olympic medals, two-time Olympian, and obviously it takes a lot to get there. And we talked with her about the mindset that you have to have to to compete at that level. But at the end of the day, now she's going to be again a college student at Cornell, and really obviously proud of what she's accomplished. And again, it's just really cool that we were able to to talk with her and to and then she answered some of our questions. But let's head right into the interview with Karen Chen. It is my honor to introduce Karen Chen to the Big Red in Beijing podcast. Not only is Karen a two-time Olympian, but she won a silver medal. In the figure skating team event last month in Beijing, Karen is also an author and former national champ. So I have to welcome you, Karen. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for listing those accomplishments for me. I mean, those are not everyday things. You have a <laughs> you have a medal to your name, and you're an author. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Just got lucky, you know. <laughs> No, no, that's hard no. work. No, 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 that's hard work right there. I have to disagree. That is hard work. Evident、uh-huh. embodiment of hard work. So, what have the past few weeks been like since the games? Hopefully, lots of rest. But yeah, what have that? What has that been like? Yeah, definitely a lot of rest.、Um, actually, I believe once I got back,、um, jet lag hit so hard I slept until like two p.m. <laughs> afternoon. I was、wow. just exhausted. Um, which was crazy because I actually slept the whole flight、um, on the way back, and I was surprised. I was just able to just like continue sleeping.、Um, but yeah, after I mean, I no longer am affected by jet lag anymore, and now just like training for、um, world championships, which is coming up very soon. Wow, it seems like an endless work cycle. That's <laughs> that's just pure dedication, really, embodiment of dedication. <laughs> It's the last and- one. I'm just like. Gonna get through worlds, and then finally my season is over, which I'm like gonna be really excited about. All right, and before we actually get to that, let's talk about the Beijing Olympics themselves. As we mentioned, you won the silver medal in the figure skating team event. So we must ask you this: Have you actually received the medal, or is there still a debate over what color you'll take home? Yeah, that's definitely a very、um, common asked question at this point.、Uh, yeah, it was, it was 
we have not received our medal and we have mm. yet to really hear anything about it. But what I will say is it was pretty sad and disappointing because the day that the medal ceremony was supposed to happen, we all got into our like Nike medal ceremony gear. So we were all like super excited. Um, all of us girls obviously like did our makeup because people are going to be taking pictures. Right. And then, mm. um, yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I got, canceled or postponed but there was they didn't give us a reason why and then um we just changed into our pajamas and went back to bed uh but yeah it was very disappointing but hopefully hopefully like a resolution will um be in the near future and then even if it's like i don't really care i just want to like see and hold the medal at some point listen it's a medal i mean that's not an easy feat yeah to compete in the olympics itself is it's a feat unlike any other to get a medal in such an event, that is beyond a privilege and beyond an honor at that rate. And we all remember, obviously, the controversy surrounding Camila Valieva and her positive drug test. And, you know, as a competitor at the highest level, I'm sure you can speak to the importance of fair competition. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I definitely advocate for a clean sport and just like fair competition because. I mean, that's what sport is about. It's got to be fair. Um, We've got to be equals. And so it's definitely a really tricky situation that just kind of unfolded at one of the biggest events ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely, definitely a crazy time, I will say. So looking at the team event, can you explain to our listeners who don't know exactly how it's structured, the actual structure and and sort of way the the team event works? Honestly, I don't know if I'm the person to answer that question um, because I I was just like, you know, they tell me to skate. I'm just going to go skate. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of like secrecy, like prior to the team event. Mm. Um, they don't want to announce like who's skating, which program. And but I do what I do know um, is that so there's like four disciplines. So there's um, women skating, men skating, pair skating, and dance skating. Um, and only two of these disciplines can be split by two people. So, um, these two disciplines can be, uh, split by like two, what for in our case, the dancers and the uh, men decided to split. And so I had to skate both programs, which is really hard. <laughs> and then so did the pair teams, but that's just how the event is. That's just the rules of the event. And then based off of that, I believe there's like point systems, like depending on how you place, you get certain points for your team. I don't know the specifics, but that's kind of like roughly what the team event is. And it's only held at the Olympics. And uh, it's a very cool experience, especially since skating is such an isolating and individual sport. It's nice to have that team to just kind of like cheer for you and all of us to just like be there for each other. Yeah, it's really special. And I, and I know it was added, I think, in 2014. So it's a little bit of a newer mm-hmm. event relatively. But you did talk about, you know, it's a lot of secrecy heading into the team events. So can you speak to a little bit like was it a day or a few days before when you actually found out you were going to be doing the short and then free skate program for the Team USA? I actually found out after nationals. So that's like, um, I want to say like two or three weeks before the games. So what they did is they ranked the ladies in like, I guess they just basically ranked the ladies. And so if you're like on top, then you get to decide like what you want to do essentially. Um, So I guess that's kind of, I mean, that's how I found, I was like, oh, I was like ranked um, high so that I had, I got first 
first pick for if I wanted to do the team event. Obviously I did because it's a, I didn't get to do it in 2018. So um, I just knew that I probably need to train my butt off because I need to compete like twice, which is something I've never done before. Yes. And, you know, getting that spot in the team event, as you just spoke to is definitely very important and speaks to all the hard work that you've done. And obviously this is your second Olympics too. So you're not new to the block. So yeah. <laughs> and after uh, an unfortunate fall in the short program for the team event, how, what was your mindset to regroup and come back in the free skate and secure that silver medal for team USA? It was really tough, honestly, because um, I will say I was training like my absolute best, like in my whole entire career. So it just kind of came out of nowhere. I was definitely super, super disappointed about it, um, but I just had to regroup and then focus on the free. And for some, and the crazy part is um, before the free skate competition, I actually like fell down a flight of stairs and I like sprained my left mm. ankle. Um, and it was an absolute mess. Like I, I was in so much pain, but I think for some reason, like when I have such like, um, something to like distract me, I think it ended up like helping me. So I was just like focused on if my ankle is going to be okay versus like the nerves or like needing to like compete well and help secure the silver medal or anything. So it was a very interesting experience. And I remember hearing that we actually had a question later, you know, about the oh. sprained ankle, but obviously, <laughs> yeah. so, so is that right? So it happened during the team event after the short program before the yes. free. Wow. Okay. And, and I believe you happened on, you know, for all the things you have to do to get COVID testing or whatever on the, on rushing around the, the village. Um, you know, that definitely shows the, the commitment that you had to be able to regroup and, and give a good performance in the, in the free program. I, I think it's also without, it's really obvious it's without mention but you know the adversity and challenges that you faced with such strength and determination it's very honorable i know i've been using that word a lot but there's a key reason why i've been using you know the word honor of course but it's very honorable and i mean just simply put at the end of the day it's it's those qualities that we measure each other by and you should be so proud as you know as we are of you really the cornell community let alone the united states so you know, Michael is a Canadian. I'm not sure you can add on to that. <laughs> you know, I did trade um, because Canada's um, Olympic year is like so cool. Um, it's like mm. Lululemon and I made sure I'd like made at least one trade because it was just, it was that cool. I just oh. needed to get my hands oh, on one. That's yeah. cool. See, I, I know like at like, you know, if you go to like some like different events, people trade gear, but the Olympics, it happens too. Wow. That's pretty yeah. cool. Wow. So is that like the opening ceremony or like the closing ceremonies um, more, or just in I, general? I, I do know that people during closing ceremony will trade their beanies. Um, but I like, I started like really early because I feel like the, um, Canadian Lululemon gear was just like, that's so cool. Like if I were them, I would not want to part with it. So I, <laughs> I kind of seeked out this, um, ice dancer and I knew she had like a sponsorship. So I figured she'd mm. have like duplicate so I was like can you please like I'll trade you this like team USA like orange fanny pack for it and she happened to really like orange so she's like I'm down and I was like hell yeah awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool the, the world you know coming together that's that's awesome and I guess speaking you know we talked a little bit about your free skate program can you tell the listeners a little bit about the special dress that you wear during that performance and what makes it special I guess to you as well 
Yeah. So my mom made my Olympic dresses and she's been making my dresses ever since I was young um, because I was a super like picky kid. Like she would buy me um, like dresses, like a stock dress from like the pro shop or something. And I would constantly complain like, oh my gosh, it's like so itchy. I don't want to wear this. And she'd be like, no, you're wearing it because like I paid for it. Um, but she would also listen to me. So then she'd like look at the dress and then she figured she would find, oh my gosh, I guess that makes sense why you'd complain it's itchy. So then she'd like learn to like take it apart and then put it back together and kind of fix it. Um, and from that, she kind of learned how to make dresses. And over the years, it just got like better and better. Um, there were a few years that I competed with like an actual professional dressmaker, but the past few years, I definitely use my mom because I just feel like there's, it feels very special. And I, and she also just does an amazing job and I am so proud of her. Actually, speaking of which, is it, is it right that your little cousin was wearing your very first skating dress back home when cheering you on? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. You, you're <laughs> right on that. Mm -hmm. And okay. what, what was it like knowing that you had this type of support back home? What does that I, mean? It, it absolutely like means the world to me um, because I mean, at the end of the day, like I am skating for myself, but uh, I also am like skating for other people, like my family, my coach, my friends, um, all those like wonderful things. And um, it helps me feel supported, um, especially since like sometimes when I'm like out there on the ice alone, like it's so lonely, like everyone's like staring at you while you're like doing your little program and the judges are like obviously judging you um, like every single movement. And um, it feels very lonely. So to just like know that I have people like cheering for me and just like supporting me, just it really means a lot. And in the free program, you skated to the Butterfly Lovers Concerto, and it's a Chinese music piece. And I believe it's actually used by legendary skater Chen Lu uh, almost 24 years ago. So is there any special meaning to that song selection? Or um, is it just, I think it spoke well to uh, almost like a butterfly on the ice, the amazing spins that you're known for. Uh, but is there anything special about the song? First off, I'm really impressed with all the facts that you guys are really <laughs> throwing at me. I'm really impressed. You guys definitely did your research. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I, I actually remember as a kid, like I grew up watching um, Michelle Kwan and Chris Yamaguchi and just these like Asian Americans were a huge inspiration and a huge role model for me. Um, but I do remember watching Lou Chensky to um, Butterfly Lovers Concerto back I, I don't remember which year but it was definitely at the Olympics and um, but I I guess like I didn't make that connection until later when I finally decided that that's the piece I wanted to skate to and I think I think the main reason is just it's always been a piece that I loved but for some reason I never decided to skate to as a competition program and then last year it came around and I was like, you know what? I think it's time. Like I'm getting older. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to stay in the sport for like, 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 let's just pull it out and skate to it. And um, it's definitely a piece that I feel really connected to, obviously because of my heritage and whatnot. Um, but it's, it's just so beautiful and so classical. And I am really happy that I got to skate to it at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. 
And you brought up a, uh, another famous American from Fremont, California, Christy Yamaguchi, uh, who's acted as a mentor for you. For those who don't know, she won the 1992 Albertville Olympics gold medal. And so what has it been like to have a relationship with this, you know, idol icon in, in the world of huh. figure skating? Uh, yeah, I'm so, so, so thankful and grateful for her. Um, she's always told me that she's in my corner whenever I need her. I definitely spoke to her over the phone before nationals to just kind of um, gain perspective because I was just, I wasn't having the best season, but I also knew that I had a, I had a really good shot of making the Olympic team as long as I did my job. And so I was just kind of I just needed a little inspiration. And so she was able to provide that for me. Um, but yeah, I guess like thinking back, it's our relationship has definitely grown. I remember the first time I met her, I was so shy that I couldn't get, I couldn't ask her, I couldn't approach her to just like sign my skate. Like my mom had to do it for me because like, that's how shy I was. And that's how like starstruck I was. So I guess like, I'm really proud of how things have changed and grown. I would say they've they've grown a lot because she actually I believe wrote the foreword for the your your uh, your memoir that you wrote Finding the Edge My Life on the Ice and mm -hmm. and that was released back in 2017. So was there a lot of process for her to to get to get her to do that or did she seem really open to it or what was that like? She seemed really open to it. I kind of just asked like, oh, would you be available to do this for me? And she's like, yeah, of course. So she quickly agreed and I did not have to persuade her in any way. That's good to hear. And again, as an author, being an author, that's pretty amazing. I can barely put a solid essay together. So me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I relate to that so hard. Um, I definitely had a lot of help. I actually had a ghostwriter do a lot of the work for me. It was um, a crazy season for me. Um, and so I just didn't have time, but I did spend like hours and hours, like talking to this ghostwriter, like every single day so that she could get a good idea of like who I am. And then we could like edit things together. Um, so it was quite a process and a lot of pros and cons about that experience. Could we expect some sort of sequel in the near future by any chance, Karen? <laughs> I don't know if my life is interesting enough for that. Oh, come on. Yes. Um, but actually, yeah, probably. Ooh, <laughs> I can probably okay. write about Ooh. me falling down the stairs. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I if an opportunity does arise, I would hundred percent be down for it. But we'll we'll see about that. Well, you know, to those listening to Big Red in Beijing, Karen is up, so she's she's down for a deal. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm not I'm not her agent. I'm just advocating. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Now, uh, wrangling it back to the Olympics in general, I guess starting with the obvious, really, now that I think about it, was the atmosphere and village very different from that of Pyeongchang or, you know, being in a competitive mindset? Did that feel similar whatsoever? Yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of time to just like compare the two events and they were very different for me. Like in 2018, I did do opening ceremonies, um, but I actually, because like there was no bubble and there was no COVID, I was able to like leave the village and train elsewhere. Like US figure skating, I kind of like figured out a place for the skaters that weren't competing so soon to the skaters that weren't competing in the team event and had like 
competed later at the Olympics, were able to go to another rink to just like practice. And so that's what I did. So I was basically there for opening ceremonies. Right after opening ceremonies, I was like whisked away into this other rink, which I was there for like two or so weeks. And then I was back in the village for my um, competition individual event. And that was like literally the very last event. And so right after competition was closing. So I literally didn't get to experience anything in the village. Um, so this time around, I made sure it was like completely different. Like I made sure I experienced it all. Um, I did a lot of um, pin trading um, and I just made sure to like walk around the village, like at, at, at least like on my off days to just really embrace the experience and take lots of good pictures. So yeah, definitely like just completely like opposite experiences um, on my end. Actually, I guess you, you semi beat me to the punch there, but just for the listeners, what, so what was your favorite part of the Olympic village or what were your favorite parts just to expand upon that more? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite parts, I'd say like, the pin trading was a lot of fun. Like mm. as like a shy introvert, I made myself a goal to at least like trade one pin per day. I often I like times exceeded that goal, but like, I would be like, okay, you got to at least like trade one pin per day. And so that was like something I'm like super proud of. <laughs> um, and then I guess the next thing would be the dining hall. Um, a lot of people complain about the food. I thought it was okay, but I will say like they have um, this ice cream. It's like this peach oolong ice cream. And it was like, so, so good. Um, so that's definitely um, one of my favorite parts. Like I convinced everybody to like try it. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, you know, question, uh, apparently semi-questionable food, great ice cream. It sounds like a very much glorified uh, Cornell dining hall. I, I just have yeah. to say it. I, yeah, I, that, I had to say it. That is <laughs> is true now obviously it's a tremendous distinction to represent the us of a the stars and stripes and i am sure nothing gets the emotions going like heading out for the closing or opening ceremonies at least i would assume now can you describe to us non-olympians what's going through your mind as you head out that tunnel um well, this time around, I didn't do opening ceremonies since the team event was like closely after. And I was, I was a tiny bit worried about like COVID and whatnot, since like they were very strict about that, um, obviously for obvious reasons. Um, but I guess like if I were to like think about 2018, like that whole um, opening ceremony experience it was like so cool. Um, but I will say there was like a lot of like waiting around, like we were all like, in these like huge buses and then we got to like the arena where it's happening and then you all just kind of like stand there or like sit there um I remember in 2018 there were like no seats at all so I just like sat on the floor until it's time for us to like march um but the moment we were out in the cold it was such a cool experience to just like I don't know like hear the announcer like announce like it's team USA and then just like walk out with like everybody else and not just like skaters it's like all the other amazing incredible olympic athletes and it's such like a core memory um and then as for closing it's very similar but way more chaotic because like everybody's like done competing um everyone's like just done and no there's no longer that stressor of like competition and so it's definitely like a party and everyone's just having a blast so that's also like 
super, super cool. Out of curiosity, in your first Olympic outing, were you at all jittery or nervous? Like in 2018? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I was definitely really nervous. Um, And... I think I was honestly just very, very overwhelmed. Like I was so used to doing competitions where it's just like the figure skating competition. So there'd only be like figure skaters, like obviously figure skaters from all around the world, but they're all figure skaters. And so mm-hmm. to be at an event where there's like all these other incredible athletes, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like sensory overload. And I just remember feeling, I was super excited, but I was also like, just like very overwhelmed and kind of felt a little bit out of place, I think. Um, and then again, I was like, I think 18. So I was still like figuring my life out and like who I was. It was definitely um, a very interesting experience, but one that um, really helped me prepare for um, this time around. Mm. And, and so, well, oh, there's something very special uh, you know, about the Team USA figure skating. You guys obviously seemed very close. And of course, the team was blessed by the to Chen's as they, as you guys go by, obviously speaking to you and Nathan Chen. So can you speak to the relationship that you have with your fellow American skaters and how close you guys are? Yeah, I think this team is just like so special. Um, we all got along. We were all like good friends. Um, and I mean, a lot of the team members this time around were also in 2018. And so um, I guess just being able to like sh- reflect on the experience in 2018 also like this new experience was super cool and on top of that after 2018 we all went to do stars on ice tour together and that was just a great time for all of us to bond um but yeah I think it's it's a it's such a special team and I'm just so lucky and grateful to be a part of that and so um I don't know I guess I guess I just, I do just feel like all these like warm and fuzzy feelings when I just like look back at the pictures of the whole entire team together. And um, yeah, just so incredible. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, did you also develop friendships with those outside the USA or who are just simply competing in different sports? Yeah, a little, like I definitely made um, some friends with like the speed skaters. Uh, we went and like watched a few of the like other events at the end um but as for like other countries not so much Mm. I'm trying to think if I did yeah maybe like I may have like talked to like a few other people a few other skaters from different countries um and met a few other athletes but not enough to like really form a friendship and who was the Canadian ice dancer that you switched with was it Piper or was it someone yes it was Uh, Piper yeah wow that's cool so and, and, and you know Obviously, we have to give a big congratulations. One, as we talk about, uh, for now, a silver medal. Maybe it will change and actually bring Canada into bronze, I believe. But anyways. Uh, that'd be pretty <laughs> cool. That would yeah. be pretty cool. <laughs> so, no, no, obviously, that'd be amazing uh, for you. And But something tells me that your plans for the next few months are not going to be uh, taking it easy. As you said, you have to train for Worlds. So when is the Worlds competition? Is it, How soon is that coming up? I leave Saturday, so wow. very quickly, and it's in France. Wow, okay. Uh-huh. And, and for that, I guess it's it would be the same routine, right? Obviously that, or yeah, because that's how the season would work in, in figure skating. Yeah, it's the same. You basically stick to the same routine from the beginning of the season mm-hmm. to the end, except for 
me. <laughs> I did make a change for nationals. I changed my short program because I just, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling my short program that I started off the season with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it didn't feel motivating. I low key felt um, depressed skating to it. So I was like, I don't want to skate to this anymore. So I made that change. Um, but yeah, it does happen. Like people do change programs mid season, but most more commonly um, it's the same program. And maybe it's some minor tweaks of like different elements or like different changing the order, but it is usually the same music. Yes. And you, know, you spoke to the, the mindset that you have as a skater. I don't know if any of our listeners have been figure skating or, or tried figure skating, but it's one of those sports where it's nearly, it's, it's almost impossible because every little thing is so important and, and everything needs to be almost perfect. So can you talk to the mindset that you've developed as a, figure skater at the top level at the Olympics, you know, how you develop that through your years? Um, it's definitely been hard, but I, I think I'm a bit of like a workaholic in the sense that I strive to be like perfect, which is like a great quality, but also like a terrible quality, um, like moments that if like I do a jump and it feels great, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do like a few more like that. And then sometimes it doesn't feel right. And I'm like, no, I got to do more. I got to do more. And my coach, my coach is like, Karen, that's like enough. You need to like, stop. You're going to hurt yourself. So I've definitely had moments like that, but I guess like, which is great for training, but there are times when I'm just like, when I go to competition or when I have this mentality that, oh my gosh, like it's, everything's got to be perfect. Like this jump's got to be perfect. Like it's got to be like, better than your warm-up jump or something and mm-hmm. um it's a bit hard to manage so that's definitely been something I I battle um especially when it comes to competition to just like kind of get out of that like oh my gosh everything needs to be perfect mindset and just be like you know it is what it is and you just gotta just like skate and be in the moment and whatever happens happens I, I think you just perfectly summarized what an elite mindset is I don't think there's really any <laughs> other way you can get around it but thank really, you. <laughs> that, that is just simply an elite mindset. And of course, while you contributed to one of Cornell's most successful Olympics ever with five medals in total, you were the only Cornellian who was still completing their degree. So a little birdie told us, is it correct that you plan to return to Cornell and specifically the College of Human Ecology, or as it's called colloquially, HUMEC, this autumn? Yes, I will be back on campus. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, I am very sure everyone on campus would love to have you back on the Hill. Uh, let me ask you, this is just a curious question. Do you expect like people asking you for autographs, taking selfies, things like that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to expect, um, but maybe like a few pictures here and there. But honestly, like I, I don't mind. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm just like a normal person and I'd love to just like make new friendships and just be there um, and have some fun. And well, so, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's a little bit of a different experience as being an American, uh, but you can always reach out to, uh, I know there's a few you know, Cornellians in the past who, who are Olympic, you know, medal winners coming back to campus and what their experience is like. But, you know, I'm sure we'll all welcome you back and be glad to see you back on campus and, and continuing your studies at Cornell. 
I mean, worst comes to worst, I'll just like keep my mask on and like sunglasses. And walk around. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> I don't think anyone will know. <laughs> You're gonna get one of the fake mustaches too. Yeah, exactly. Like they'll be <laughs> just fine. <laughs> yeah. Just as long as you don't wear the Ralph Lauren around the the campus. Uh, yes. Yeah, that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm literally only wearing it like now because uh-huh. I know that like after like this season I'm I'm not gonna want to be that flashy anymore <laughs> well I mean hopefully I just didn't influence a ton of bombardment of <laughs> selfies and autographs I hopefully I did not cause a chain reaction in that but it's really endearing and charming to hear that you know you're so down to earth and humble especially at the Olympic stage and grandeur so you know it's it's always reassuring to see that people of elite status like you are always, you know, you always prove to be one of us in a way. I try. I try my best. (laughs) I promise Um, it's all genuine, though. Like, I'm not faking this. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) No, we believe you. We believe you. Believe Okay. (laughs) And of course, as we approach the latter end of this interview, however, I do want to take a moment because I think it is imperative to mention that, you know, this would not have been possible without the help of our mutual dear friend who also covers BRSN social media and is one half of the Big Red Hockey cast higher powers, Sofia Prieto. And in fact, here she is to make her on-air interviewer debut. Thank you so much, Sean. So yeah, I just had a few questions also. Um, Karen, as someone who knew you during your freshman year, and of course, even having class together, how did you manage to take classes at an institution such as Cornell while also training um, as a world-class athlete? Um, It was very hard, not going to lie. Like I will say fall semester, my grades were not the best and my skating was definitely not the best either. Uh, I was so used to just prioritizing my skating schedule and then like school would like be second priority Um, and to have that completely like swapped was like insane for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. But with time, like I was able to just kind of get into the swing of things and balance got a bit easier. But I will say like, I was not able to sleep six hours, definitely less many, many nights. Um, but I think it was all worth it. It was a great learning experience for me and I don't regret it. Of course, no. And then um, none of us can forget the exciting performance you gave out um, to a sold out line of crowd uh, just over two years ago. I was actually in the front row for that. Like I remember you yeah. performance. <laughs> so like, how did that come about? Cause that was so neat. <laughs> I don't even remember. I think I don't, I can't remember who reached out to me and just said, Oh, would you be down to do this? And I was like, of course, like that'd be like so fun. Um, and it really was that fun. I, the audience was really great. Like I just like stroke around and they were like cheering like crazy and just being crazy. Um, and that's something that I don't usually get to experience at like a competition event and whatnot. So, um, I would say it's like a big core memory of mine. Like it's, it's that special for me. That's so sweet. No, I mean, hopefully Lana can get another intermission uh, performance before you graduate because that was awesome. Yes, I would love that. And speaking of Cornell, as we're all talking about it, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to after two years coming back to Ithaca and coming back on campus? Um, I'm looking forward to see 
my friends and the connections that I made, obviously they'll, they're like going to be seniors now and like leaving me <laughs> so shortly, which is terrifying. Um, but I do hope to make um, new friendships and I don't know, like I, one of the things that I enjoyed so much about just like being on campus and being around all these like Cornellians was just, just like getting to know people that have completely different passions um, from mine. And that was something that I just found so inspiring and it gave me perspective. And so I can, I can, I hope to continue um, just like feeling so inspired as I walk around campus and probably running late um, for classes. You have the world championship, as you said, coming up. And then obviously when you're coming back to Cornell, do you, I'm sure you'll have plans or hopes to still get on the ice once in a while, whether it's to a full line of crowd or whether it's just yourself, I'm sure, because you're so close to the sport. And mm-hmm. Like I, I get asked a lot about like, what, when am I retiring and things like that? Like, even though I'm only 22, um, skating is a sport where like the younger, the better. So I am definitely like on the older side. So I totally understand that, but I think what it, I don't, no, like retirement sounds scary. So I don't want to put that label on it. Um, but I, I guess like the way I see is I'm just reorganizing my priorities. Like I want, I want to prioritize school and, um, that's, that's just what I want to do. And so skating will be less prioritized, but I'm not going to like kick it out of my life, especially since it's a huge part of my identity. And so, um, I know there's rinks, there's a rink in Ithaca, there's a rink in Cortland. Um, and I used to go skate there all the time. So I, I have to continue that. And then, um, yeah. And of course, if I get a chance to skate at a hockey game, I'm like totally down for that. Ooh, I mean, you're talking to a co-host and and a producer of the Big Red Hockey cast. So maybe we could actually do something for next Okay. Okay. Maybe we could do something great. for next season, Michael. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. And this is more of a funny one. This is more of a funnier question, but can we expect in the near future or far future for you to be teaching advanced figure skating at Cornell. That is a PE class for the record. I, I, I know that. I would totally be down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I would love to do that. Yeah. One, one could say you have credentials and that's putting it very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that you complete your PE credit already? Uh, no. Your freshman year? no oh, okay. Because I just thought about that. Theoretically, you could enroll. But yes. that would be pretty funny, but uh, I don't think you would do that, but that would, that would be yeah, pretty funny. It would. <laughs> now, I guess as, as a closer, again, we have, it's without any sort of light toneness that we mentioned that you competed on the grandest stage of them all, of course, the Olympics. What do you have to say, for example, to the novices in figure skating or you know the toddlers for example that want to somehow grow up into the olympics what do you have to say about that or to them rather Mm -hmm. um i mean i just hope that i my career or just my accomplishments even like my falls like can inspire um younger athletes or not even just athletes just like younger people um and I think especially since like that's what really um 
gave me this dream of wanting to be an Olympic figure skater. And um, like, obviously I mentioned Christian Maguchi and Michelle Kwan, mm-hmm. like they were those role models for me. So for me, like if I could just be that role model for even just like one kid, like I would be so happy. And that's why Karen, you're a champion. That's why. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, with that, what, a privilege. That's all I can say. What a privilege it's been to sit down here with you, Karen. I mean, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We just cannot emphasize it enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that you've made all of us proud, not only, you know, the Americans, of course, but also all Cornelians. I I just need to put that out there for demonstrating such, you know, tenacity, determination, passion, resilience, you name it, all those good nouns that I'm basically throwing at you. Those, that's, that's a champion mindset that I also have to emphasize. And you've shown that, again, on the grandest stage of them all over your career. And with that, we look forward to welcoming you back this fall and all the best to you over the next few months. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again so much for coming on. It's been a real honor. Of course. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Always nice to hear from the Karen Chen, uh, really our beloved Cornelian athlete. And really what a privilege it was to speak with her, to know what is on the mind of an Olympian athlete, let alone one that competes in such a individualistically competitive sport. Mm-hmm. And one that also combines, of course, with the team events. But like she said, sometimes you feel like all eyes are on you and sometimes it feels lonely figure skating. But like you mentioned earlier, Michael, her mindset is one that proves triumphant every time. Exactly. And it was also really cool to hear a little bit about the inside experience of an Olympian, not only at the Olympic Village, but like swapping some of the, uh, you know, the different merch that you get. It was really cool to hear those stories firsthand from Karen. Uh, and also, you know, the process of creating the book and, and being mentored by a great, uh, by Yam- like Yamaguchi. So Honestly, again, it was really an honor to speak with her. And we obviously wish her all the best in France for the world championship. Mm-hmm. We know we're going to be rooting her on. And I believe she's uh, there competing there right now um, by the episode of this, uh, this episode's release. Yep. But again, it was, it was a real honor. And we, we appreciate her for taking the time to talk with us. Well, as they say in France, Michael, bon chance. You know, good <laughs> luck, of course, like you said earlier. And with that, we thank you for tuning in to Big Red in Beijing. Ciao, ciao for now.